You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 494. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with the Netflix series 1899. And, dude, I guess it's not going to be as long a journey as we thought. No, I know, man. Or hoped. And uh, That's unbelievable, dude. Like, you know, your, and, your posts say it all. It's just like... I mean, okay, listeners out there, you know, we always make a point. Well, not always. I mean, we frequently make a point that we try to keep the podcast clean. So if you want to get the kids out of the room for a moment, <laughs> because usually it's it's just accidental. Earmuffs. Fuck you, Netflix, and fuck you, yeah. HBO Max. I, I, you know, it, it, uh, I, I don't even yeah. know what to say. It, it, it's yeah. like they're they're getting to be as bad as network television which is not what we want i mean this is no. why we flocked to these streaming services yeah absolutely you know yeah. and it's just going the, the exact wrong way so i mean just like i i know i was cheeky about it but i really do want to see his dark materials but it's like six episodes i'd kind of like to watch doom patrol but i don't even care i think as soon as i'm done his dark materials hbo is gone but yeah. I, I mean, we're kind of caught in this no man's land because every service has something we want to see. Now, granted, we could take a stand, and I'm sure a lot of people will, and you know, the two of us may end up doing it as well. But it's like they're appeasing the lowest common denominator and and a lot of the listeners know kevin batchelder i'm sure he's a, a podcaster who's done so many podcasts most recently a winona erp podcast he still does uh, tuning into sci-fi television he really he's a great podcaster if you are looking for a good podcast check out whatever kevin's doing or has done and see if you know he's covering something that appeals to you but he he linked an article and i forget what publication it was in and i'll try to find it and, and post it in our facebook group but but it really talked about these very issues that streaming services are are letting i i hate to be elitist about it but intelligent viewers down because if you take a show like 1899, which is one of their biggest hits internationally, just as Dark was, except Dark, nobody knew who Yante Frisch and Baron Boatar were. I mean, I guess maybe in Germany people did. but right. uh, So you had a huge hit there, which is why I'm sure they got 1899. It's, by all accounts, a huge hit, not only with Netflix, but it's a darling of the critics. And... So, so what's, I mean, what, what are we going to cover next? America's got talent or the next season of survivor because uh, I mean, look, I guess, and you and I haven't talked about it and I'm sure we will at the last minute. Um, right. what we're going to do next, maybe we have to go back to our roots and, and pick shows that are long done and yeah. have a resolution at, at, you know, in the final season, but Oh, it's just well, very it, discouraging. Yeah, it is. It is. And you want to, like, especially talking about a show like 1899. And, you know, it's kind of funny because this is the first episode that I'm, like, really in, like, going to be behind 100%, you know. And uh, finally, when I get on board with this, it's when they cancel it. So 
the universe works in mysterious ways sometimes, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, this is, we're, we're, yeah, I, I know like we're not the people that executives are thinking about when they're making these things and for every, and again, I know Jeff Bezos is not everyone's favorite guy, but you know, what he did for the expanse was awesome. You know, uh, he stepped in. He was a show he liked. And so I guess what we need to do is kind of maybe, you know, somehow get these shows in front of like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk's size or some other super rich guys so that they can make these shows happen. Uh, because otherwise, like, yeah, we're not the type of people, obviously, that or, you know, just we're not in that whatever that that or that just there's not enough of us, I guess, that we can actually you know, influence things on, on television uh, or in streaming services, I should say. Yeah, it's just really, it's really sad, especially because it seemed like, like everyone was talking about 1899. I saw a lot of, I didn't read anything because I was trying to keep staying away from all that stuff. But I know, like, especially when it first came out, there's all kinds of people were talking about it. And so I just, you know, I don't know. Well, yeah, the, the article that, that Kevin Batchelder posted one of the points i believe that was the article one of the points it was making is that netflix and i guess hbo max as well you you know they're they're not really worried about retaining customers they want to get new customers so once i watch season one they don't care about retaining me they want to come out with a new show that's going to bring in new customers because they're banking on the fact that we're not going to leave, that we're going to be all bluster, and in the end, we'll keep forking over our fourteen ninety nine a month. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, you but know, in my case, when Netflix is right, because even if I get fed up with Netflix, I'm like, I don't want to watch this. There's five other people in this household, and they probably all watch Netflix way more than they probably use it way more than I do. But the HBO, I think. That could that can go and you know I'm I'm not going to be a liar here you know like when Game of Thrones comes back I will probably resubscribe at least for Game of Thrones that's just what how I actually got into this in the first place is I was just you know I would just get it for long enough to watch a season of Game of Thrones and then I you know cancel but then like just one year all of a sudden the show that came after Game of Thrones can't remember what it was, but it was really good. And I stuck around for that. And then they, then they had their hooks in me, but, uh, but this time I think I can, uh, pretty easily rid myself of, of HBO for a while and save myself some, some green. And maybe honestly, Dave, I'm the Paramount plus right now is kind of killing it for me. You know, like they have all this Star Trek content and, uh, there's just all kinds of other good stuff that I'm really starting to not even going to get into because I'm still halfway playing on on canceling again after you know the the two months I've I've been able to eke out of them a little bit more. But uh, but yeah, if I you know I would trade Paramount Plus right now for um, Netflix or HBO Max, Apple TV as well has tons of awesome stuff on it. So you know, I think there's enough good services out there still that with enough great content on there that uh you know like maybe send send a message to netflix they could cancel 1899 we cancel them there you go 
All right. Well, let's uh, get to what we're watching. Uh, I'm going to be quick since we went on for about eight minutes there. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, speaking of shows and guilty pleasure, whatever, I've mentioned this in the past. Netflix can give three seasons to Emily in Paris, which is slightly more nutritious than cotton candy, if I can use a food analogy there. But, uh, you know, it's a fun show. Uh, but another show that my wife and I just finished on amazon prime is called catastrophe and four seasons six episodes per recommended by her brother and i gotta be honest i wasn't really into it the first season or so it got better it's a lot of humor that i don't care for but the basic idea is that this american corporate fixer is living in london and he hooks up with this irish school teacher one night stand, she gets pregnant. They end up trying to make a go of it. They get married. And I mean, it's definitely a comedy. The 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 two leads also write the show. Right. And Carrie Fisher plays his mother, and she is a trip. She is just awesome in this show. So, you know, if you're looking for something light, there are 30 minute episodes, catastrophe, prime video. All right, I'm okay. done. All right. Well, um, I, I, you know, this is my for right now last shout out for Star Trek Discovery. I finally finished uh, season four, and I really, really enjoyed that. Like, I, I think I actually um, because I am, you know, imagining my impending cancellation of Paramount Plus. I uh, right now have sitting as as in a holograph or not a holograph in the uh, the transporter room, like caught between two. Two destinations. I have the uh, the full D- uh, DVD set, actually Blu-ray set of the original series that um, I'm thinking of getting. But right now, it's just in my cart. I didn't pull the trigger straight away, but uh, you know. But really, you know, it's kind of wild because uh, Discovery so has so, well, and Strange New Worlds has so much of that spirit of the original series, and also of the other later, you know, of uh, you know Voyager and deep space nine and of course the next generation um and all of these shows that uh you know this kind of i guess gene roddenberry kind of uh attitude towards life or whatever that uh, is really I, i just i just love so it was awesome especially discovery has the best like guest stars on there um tig notaro has a recurring role she is awesome uh freaking hilarious one of the funniest people ever uh, David Cronenberg, wow, okay, is has a recurring role. Like I was like, who is that guy? Look, I'm like that's David freaking Cronenberg, man. That is awesome. And uh, Stacey Abrams, who, if she wasn't awesome enough already, um, you know, shows up. I think she was in two different episodes of Star Trek Discovery. So, uh, you know, she was a pretty. I thought she was pretty awesome before, and then she did a guest appearance in Star Trek, and now uh, Stacey Abrams might be my favorite person in the entire universe. So, well, hopefully, she won't give up her day job. Yeah, right. She did. Well, she was pretty good in Star Trek, but I wanted to keep her day job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then, last but not least, I won't talk a lot. Just say this was a really good movie. It is on Netflix, uh, but it's uh, the Glass Onion, uh, the Knives Out, next Knives Out movie with Daniel Craig. It was a really good, enjoyable movie we watched. I don't think it was quite as good as the, the first 
Knives Out movie, but as a you know good like kind of murder mystery type thing, it it works. Yeah, the Agatha Christie, everyone, all the you know everyone there, someone there is the is the person who did the murder, and it's in a you know isolated location, so you know and everything like that. But uh, you know Daniel Craig is great. Uh, the movie is really good. Uh, I can't remember the name of the actress who plays like the other main lead but she was at, she just she actually stole the movie like right out from daniel craig's feet uh she was great i should remember her name it's a disgrace that i don't but uh but yeah just a really good movie enjoyable funny i recommend it if you uh are keeping your netflix uh subscription all right well let's get to 1899 episode four season one the only season Titled The Fight, written by yeah. Yante Frisia and Jerome Buckhan Nelson, directed by Baron Bo Odar, released November 17th, 2022. Now, I've mentioned, you know, my wife and I are constantly on the lookout for the next new show to watch, and I keep telling her, you, you know, give 1899 a try, you'll like it. Finally, the other night, I just, I just grabbed the control and put it on we'd fi- we'd finished catastrophe mm-hmm. and she's like all right fine <laughs> so she watches it i get to the end and i'll you know generally i'll turn and i'll say all right what's the verdict she's like episode two let's go nice <laughs> so yeah so so she's definitely into it so I, I, the fourth time i saw episode one i don't know if we talked about this maybe we did but that Mara's asylum cell is one one zero one, the same number as her right. stateroom on the ship. Well, I, obviously, I had did not catch that at all the first time. So, well, well I didn't catch it the first two or three times. I don't okay. <laughs> so, so then it it starts making me wonder: Is this going to be one of these situations where? This is some sort of fever dream, some sort of extended hallucination, uh, you know, that we're going to see it at the end. She's strapped in a bed and the whole story is just in her head. I mean, I hope not, but right. it did get me thinking. It's, it's a possibility, but, you know, well, I mean. Who cares at this point? Right. <laughs> you know, like, right. I mean, I, mean, I don't, don't know. I don't know how much is answered because, again, I have been a good boy here. Right. I have not uh, watched ahead, so I don't know how much mystery. I assume that they don't wrap everything up with a neat little bow at the end of season one because they were planning on three seasons, right? Right. Yep. So, um, so yeah, right. I mean, speculating what actually is going on here. Is might be pointless, but you you know you never know. This show might find a second life uh, somewhere. Maybe you know, like I said, maybe some super rich guy will watch and say this. You know, we need to save this show. But um, but yeah, you would think though that that would seem like a little bit of a you know like a cop out. You know, like if at the end it's just all in Mara's head, it'd be it's just gonna feel cheapen the whole thing. Yeah, um, where you know, kind of like. You know, with uh, the ending of of New Heart, right? Yeah, uh, but that was done cool. obviously just completely for for laughs and everything. And this show doesn't really play anything for laughs here. So, um, yeah. But again, just to even talk about what ultimately is going on here 
makes me a little sad. Yeah. But. Now, in episode two, rewatching it again with my wife, which was the third time I think I saw episode two, we've got that scene where Mara is returning to her stateroom and Daniel's kind of hanging about the door and we know his room is next to hers. But I think he's coming out of her room. So was he in there meeting the boy? Because we know that he and the boy have a sure. connection now. So and he can, if you got a beetle, you can get in the get in whatever in. door you need to. Right, so. right. Um, and then in episode three, when the boy crawls under the bed, you know, we hear like, you know, this movement under there. Well, now I guess he's removing the trap door, which, you know, is pretty cool since he didn't move the bed apparently. But and then the other thing that I think I misspoke last time, we see Daniel using that handheld device that I kept saying he's punching in numbers. And my wife corrected me that, no, it's like one of those little, you know, things that we used to have as kids that had nine tiles and numbers and you'd push the numbers around and try to get them in a certain order. And that's kind of what he's doing, even though he's right. obviously there's. Well, he's still punching the things on the on his little device, but, right. but he is also moving them around as well. Right. So. But I think I said that he was activating the panel on Kerberos because Kerberos is the ship that disappears. But when you watch it again, the panel that lights up, you can see the surroundings that I'm pretty sure it's Prometheus because everything is, is just in disarray and, and, you know, in a state of deterioration that we would not see on Prometheus. So I'm not sure what that means or how important it is, but I, I did notice that and wanted to make that correction. So, okay. All right. So in this episode, well, who or what is the boy? And I guess we'd have to say the same questions about Daniel. I mean, of course we don't get an answer at this point, but, and then, yeah, jo- well, he is still like literally not interacted with anyone except for, well, the boy and Mora. Right, exactly. Um, now, he does move about the ship. Yeah. So people see him, but... Well, do they? Well, okay, that's a good point. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, he, like he's definitely there, but, you know, it's like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense. I'm sorry, spoilers, but if you haven't watched that one yet, you deserve this. But, you know, like, he's there. In, in all these scenes, and that's why the, the 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 twist at the end is such a shock because we're like, well, wait, he's he's been, yeah, we think he's been interacting with people the whole time, but he really hasn't been. He's just been interacting with Haley Joel Osment's character, right? So um, that's kind of like what I think of here because yes, we see Daniel, you know, in numerous situations, and especially in the uh, the the dining room at the end of this episode where they retreat to but he's still not talking to anyone else and and no one is it seems like is acknowledging his presence there okay and and that's certainly fair enough and it reminds me of the haunting of hill house that we talked Mm -hmm. about you know well what's a hallucination what's not and we would say well you know is this i forget the characters names now but is this nell's hallucination well no we see something but she's got her back to it so then right. we, we assume then well that's real that's, that's not legit. a hallucination right right, right. right. exactly yeah. so uh, uh and then the last thing i wanted to bring up the character of jerome 
why does he want to get on the ship? Is it purely to exact revenge against Lucien? And I guess it, that's a good place to uh, go to the French Connection part mm. of the story. Nice. And you know that, that was actually an answer on Jeopardy tonight. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah. Opening scene. I guess that's the Sahara Desert. Uh, Some kind of desert. Yeah. Yeah. And we. But see- again. One of many things that Wayne said earlier, yeah, that has come true. I was just like rigging him up on this one, but yeah, you were. <laughs> um, and, and we see that that Lucien and Jerome have a history. I don't know that we can necessarily say they were friends, but. I mean, because they do seem to just simply be thrown together as the last two members of their unit still alive trying to decide what to do, whether we follow orders and stay here, even though resupply seems to be nowhere to be found, or do we disobey orders and, you know, essentially desert desert our posts. But uh, we certainly get some questions answered, like that metal that we've talked about Mm -hmm. in his room. And that's, I guess, the metal that he takes off the dead, officer's yes. uniform that he ends because up Lucien, wearing. Yeah, Lucien, uh, you know, this is back before cell phones that uh, this is identity theft, right? He's uh, taking over the, the lieutenant's identity and everything, and he's going to go back to France as an officer. Yeah, and, and I mean, the way everything plays out in, in that scene I don't think there's really any question but that Jerome is motivated to board this ship to exact revenge. Well, well maybe, but like, you know, Fred brings it up like, well, what's the deal with Jerome and Clements? But, you know, because they, I think when they first met, they were both like, you seem familiar, you know, whereas in, in you know, Lucien automatically recognizes Jerome. Right. Well, right. Now, I guess there are a couple of explanations for why he seems familiar to Clemence. None of them are really that good an explanation. Uh, Certainly, he's French. They can communicate easily. There is that. I doubt whether Lucien has any photographs from his time in the French Foreign Legion that would show... Uh, Jerome. Yeah. Oh, and here's the guy who I knocked out, locked up in the cage, and after I des- and then deserted my post. Right, but there's like, no questioning <laughs> the chemistry between the two of them. Absolutely. Yeah. So whatever it is, I mean, Jerome utters that line. Uh, you know, why is this happening again? Now, right. what does he really mean by that? We don't really know. Mara's voice tells him to wake up again. Yeah, well, I, I thought that what it was is he like, um, like Ike and like who else has oh uh, uh, Ying Li or Ling Yi, sorry, is experiencing this memory, but like not as a dream, like completely and actually re-experiencing something from his life. So that's what I took that he was you know just like those other characters is um you know going back and, and experiencing this uh terrible moment in his life yeah so 
how that can be explained, uh, obviously at this point we have no idea. Clemence, however, confronts Lucien about where he was the previous night, and, and of course we know where he was, but their relationship just really continues to evolve slash devolve. I mean, certainly it seems at some points that it was clearly a marriage of convenience. Neither loved the other. She didn't seem to really have any interest in having any kind of a sexual relationship with him. She just seemed to be doing her wifely duty that, that, you know, in, in episode one, but then we see him really feeling really emotionally uh, distraught. And, and she does seem to be interested enough to care enough to ask him, you know, wh- what the problem is. And, you know, of course, he accuses her, well, you don't care whether I live or die, and I've only got a few more days or weeks. All right, well, I didn't know epilepsy was a fatal condition. Now, you're the expert, so I'll defer yeah. to you. <laughs> uh, I'm not an expert, but um, no, I, 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 I honestly don't know either. I just looked up to see what the old treatment for epilepsy was but i don't think it's something i mean it's it's i don't think it's something that would kill you in like a couple weeks or something you know yeah Um, obviously it's not great and it's debilitating to the mind and the body um but uh, i don't think it's something that you know that kills you that quickly right and and he's apparently been taking medication for it for a while now did he suffer from epilepsy during his time in the french foreign legion that almost seems kind of hard to believe because he without his medication i assume would not be able to function as a soldier would need to function so again i don't know you know about the onset you know of this condition but but again, we're probably going into the weeds uh, a little bit too far. But I mean, certainly Mara has come across as this incredibly strong woman. And I'll tell you, you got to be pretty impressed with Clemence because she clearly comes from a privileged background and or I, I should again. I shouldn't say clearly, but it certainly seems you know. If it wasn't her, then it was, you know, his family. Some somebody had money that you know yeah. enabled them to get on this ship. But when Jerome knocks on her door, she doesn't really hesitate about letting him in. Um, you know, I mean, you could see her feeling threatened by this man that she doesn't know he's clearly not a first class passenger but he says he's going to free the captain immediately well i'm going with you i'm going to help and and we see that time and again in this episode about her you know putting herself on the line to really what i think we know is the right thing at at that moment so ike wants to get the lifeboat to go to prometheus Clemence and Jerome, yep, we're going with you. And I guess that's just to get away from the mutineers. I don't know that he necessarily has a plan. I mean, I think he... Well, it seems like a pretty crap plan as the other boat's not even there. Well, so, that's... You know, like, But he doesn't know that. Well, it's, it's but it's still there at this point. I th- Oh, no, I guess it's not no. at that point. 
But, I, well, like yeah. Fred said, what is now? Right, oh, right, like, right. So, I mean, like when, uh, so po- actually possibly it is, you know. Uh, in the chronology of the show, it's already gone, but that doesn't mean where they are at, quote unquote, now is before or after the, the Prometheus has disappeared. You're right. Or the Kerberos, actually the Kerberos disappeared, right? Yes, because correct. One, to their, but to the, so I guess to their point of view, the other ship disappeared. But right, either way, right. Potato, potato. Yep. Now you you talk about crap plans. So why don't we leave the French connection and and uh, jump into mutant? Well, I just, before we go, yeah, I just yeah. want to say one thing: is that this is the first time that we see characters that are on the boat that you know that aren't like are like that they weren't traveling together that knew each other before, you know, you mean with Lucien and with Lucien and Jerome, Jerome. Okay. right? So here are two people who knew each other outside of their experience of the ship. Now meeting in the ship, everyone else. I mean, there's obviously people who know each other, but they're all people that know each other because they're traveling together. Right. Sure. Right. So this is the first time we see that. So I, I don't know what that means at, at this point, but it's just something to, to note. Okay. All right. Again, you you talked about a crap plan. Mutiny on the Kerberos. I don't know if Franz really has a clue as to what he's doing or what he hopes to accomplish. So, you know, it's like, let's throw the captain out and we'll figure it out on the fly. Well, okay, let's turn the ship around and start going to America. Well, we already know that Ike had Oleg check how much coal they have and i guess he knows how you know much they're going to need to get to america and uh, again you know they always talk about you know full speed ahead uh, put it at 10 knots whatever however fast that is but I know certainly from cars that the the faster you drive, the more fuel you burn. I assume it's probably the same with ships. So, you know, has that... Even... Well, yeah, because you got to make the engine work harder. Right, right. So, right. so you know, Franz, uh, so he comes to the brig to get Jerome and Olick, and I guess we're thinking, all right, is he going to give them a second chance? You know, you come over to the right side. Nope. We're going to take you out on deck. It's raining, pile of bodies, start throwing them overboard. Yeah. And of course, we're thinking, all right, well, is this what happened on Prometheus? Now, on the one hand, the pile of bodies is a lot bigger, I think, than we expected. Yeah. But there are like 1,500 people on the ship. Right. So it's a drop in the bucket. Right, but I mean, if people are going to continue to die at this rate, then you know, right, but won't but, be long. Right, but going back to Franz and his lack of a, a real plan, well, don't you think it's important to maybe examine the bodies in a little more detail and try to figure out why they're dying? Do you really think this kid is evil, and he's the one that's causing them to die? I mean, really. Really? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. They will really, really. Yeah, we haven't done that in a while. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, and the, the this is what happens when people uh, get hysterical and panic, 
right? And of course, the um, you know the religious frenzy of uh, Tove's mother uh, is really you know driving this this insanity. And you know, honestly, this whole thing. And I, you know, I don't know. I, I I guess they probably wrote and directed this after uh, January sixth of twenty twenty. But, um, man, there's a lot of parallels. Sure there are. Of and Just like you said, with Franz starting this insurrection uh, without really a goal in sight except for get the captain out of there, right? And now what do you do? Because now the what you started, you can't stop. And you've got uh, people who were previously – uh, shoved below deck and basically locked below decks. Now you've given them guns and given them free reign of the ship. So what do you imagine is going to happen? Right. I mean, because the Danes would have no power had he not armed them. Yes. Right. I mean, she's spouting all of this nonsense, but without the guns, they're just going to be locked down in third class. So it's Franz that, you know, it gives them power, enables them to take over. But I guess I keep going back. What is it to Franz? What does he really care if the captain turns the ship around and takes it back to Europe? He's going to get paid either way. He didn't make that decision. Right. Ike is going to have to answer to the company. But Well, you know, but what we see in the ship is almost universally – People really, really, really don't want to go back to Europe. And everyone has, like, apparently very strong reasons to not to want to go back. Uh, and so maybe we can assume Franz is like that as well. Well, maybe yeah, but, got some but once they drop secret. the passengers off in America, they're going to sh- sail back to Europe. Well, I, I don't know. Okay. You're right. I mean, it's a, that's a good question. Like, why? Why, why is he so motivated? Right. So motivated that... You're right. He arms the religious nuts in in the hold of the ship. You right. know? I mean, and it's really it's all of the officers for the most part. Although the first mate is an interesting figure. I I, I feel like he's got some sort of a connection with the company. He knows more than than letting on. I mean, we've seen him at that that little right. control panel with the triangles punching things in that it doesn't seem as if the others really know about that. So we don't necessarily know what his story is, but now the officers are struggling with the knowledge that Prometheus is no longer behind them. And one of them says, well, maybe it's not Prometheus that disappeared. Maybe it's us, which, okay. Now from a narrative perspective, all right, well, that's cool idea. Is that really something that, you would think in 1899, I mean, well, you're thinking, you know, that, well, okay, maybe Prometheus came off the cable and it sank or it drifted away and we didn't notice much more plausible explanations than no, it didn't disappear. We disappeared. Well, all right. But then you're right. You're right. They are, they are kind of going there uh, rather quickly. Yeah. Maybe we're not where we're supposed to be. And then I'm thinking, like, maybe you're not when you're supposed to be. 
So True. I, because there are some things, again, that, that you can't completely leave time travel in the rearview mirror. Well, no, especially when you have like, you know, a guy with a remote control. It, well, like sure. going around on the ship in 1899, well, right? Like well, that's, okay, that's a thing. We saw video monitors again, like obviously, I mean, time, whether it's time travel, there is a time element here, 100%. Well, yeah, but I mean, the monitors, we could still explain with alternate history because as far as I know, you know video technology was really around in the 30s even i mean it really didn't you know take hold until the late 40s early 50s but but you know they were they were experimenting with it in the 30s so we're really only talking about 40 years earlier and as we said well you know there were brilliant people back then as well so but it's the idea that one of the officers says you know explaining that you know, well, we're, you know, we're now the compasses are working again and we're back to where we started before we turned the ship around. So did they go back in time or did the ship teleport to, you know, this other location or what? Obviously, we don't know, but there's certainly questions we have to ask. All right. Do we hate uh, Crestor now? He he's not great in this episode. He is not great at all. And on the other hand, his sister, I mean, she grabs a gun and she clearly knows how to use it. She's at the front of the line. But but now the reality of what's happening kind of kicks in with her. And it's as if she wants to do the right thing. You know, what's going to happen once that first shot is fired? Again, you you mentioned about the insurrection and, you know, once that first shot's fired, it's going to be really difficult to prevent, uh, you know, more behind it. So she wants to do the right thing. The other thing we I don't know if we talked about. Obviously, she's pregnant. She's getting close to giving birth. Where's the father? Well, that's the thing. They they. Whenever, like, they mentioned the devil, like, her dad did one time, then touched her belly, and then her mom did the same thing, saying something like, like, I can't remember, hold on, the devil isn't going to get his way. Like, I don't know, there, there's something that they are, seem to be equating, uh, you know, some kind of satanic element with her pregnancy, which again would if you know they're uh, very religious people and they just believe that all evil comes from the devil and that her out of wedlock, which we don't know if her you know pregnancy is out of wedlock or not, but we would assume. I guess I kind of assume it is because you know all of her family kind of gives her crap about being pregnant. Uh, it seems, and you know both you know kind of like protecting her and her unborn child, but also, you know, this kind of insinuation that she did something wrong or that the devil is involved somehow. So, um, I don't know, just something to keep, keep an eye on there. Right. I mean, if she had a husband and he stayed in Denmark for whatever reason and was planning to join them in America at a later date, I think we would get a sense of that. As you mentioned, it's possible she had the baby out of wedlock. 
I guess it's also possible that she was raped. And right. in that case, you can maybe, not really, but you, you can maybe see why the mother would associate evil with this sure. child, even though it's clearly no fault of Tove if that turns out to be the case, if we you know get that as an answer. But, but, but yeah, we, we do see, because the, the first bait, who, first of all, the first bait said, he goes like, there's something you need to know. And I was just like hoping the first time I saw he was going to say, I am not left-handed, but he didn't say that um, to my great regret. Uh, but you know, when he is speaking in German and uh, Tove is translating from German into Danish, she doesn't want to translate the part when he mentions how all these deaths started happening when the boy came on board. It's little dickhead, a hole, yeah. <laughs> Prester, who who tr- who goes and blurts that out, you know. So yeah, you know, we definitely out of talking ab- about the characters that seem to have kind of a quote unquote pure heart. Uh, you know, we got Olek. Still Jerome, I put it, I put in that category. Potentially Clement, uh, but for sure Tove as well. Yeah, I think it's fair to, to add Clement to that list. You know, Mara is caught trying to get to the captain. She's brought to the bridge, and, and, and I love her confrontation with Franz. You're just a little boy toying with power. You have no idea what you're doing and uh, we certainly get the sense that she's a hundred percent correct in, in right and you feel like that lie especially you have no idea what's going on here i'm like that is true for me as well as franz you know, like, it's got to be more frustrating for franz as he's actually involved in this but but yeah like but that line it's just like especially maura saying it you know who we know it's whether she's aware or not is somehow seems to have some level of control over this. Um, for her to say that is that, that was a huge line. Yeah. Now the search for the boy takes up a good chunk of this episode as well. And, you know, the mob arrives at Mara's door and Tove's mother, she's ready to shoot her way in when Mara arrives and search her. And of course they get the key and, and, you know, they, they kicked in a lot of doors in first class. I'm not sure who's going to pay to have those repaired, but yeah. they get oh, in they, there. They don't care. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, and, you know, I, I'm torn because in the one hand, you're like, well, okay, like here is these people that you had locked up down in the hold of the ship, uh, you know, living in darkness, squalor. And now that they're out, are they going to want to get theirs? This is natural, right? Like it's natural that they're going to be like, all right, they are going to show these rich efforts, like who's in charge now, right? Yeah. Now, are you surprised that the boy is not there? Not at all. Yeah. And I mean, Mara notices at the same time we do that the pyramid is gone. And obviously, it would be too easy. I think somebody even looks under the bed. And I think when they go and search all of the other rooms that that's one of the first things they look at as well um i guess mara's cabin's not as big as say the one that clements and uh, lucienne are in because they have multiple rooms but but regardless uh, so whatever import the pyramid has we still don't know we just know it's important and the boy somewhere I, I guess at this point nothing is going to surprise us right 
for where he is. Well, does it surprise you later when he's thrown off the ship and he, you know, pops back out the cabinet? You know, my wife told me, well, I wasn't surprised. I I thought that was going to happen. Like, really? Okay. (laughs) I I didn't think that was going to happen until they panned down and showed the cabinet like, Oh, he's totally popping out of that cabinet. Well, once I heard the banging, I thought that. Yeah. But I just told my wife that, well, see, that's what you get from hanging around me all this time. That, there uh, you go. Yeah, yeah so, that's, uh, that's you know, where he is, when he is, how he gets wherever it is he gets, uh, you know, w- we certainly don't know. But but she hears the tapping, moves her bed, and, okay, she's got a trap door just like the one ike has in his quarters just like the one the captain of the prometheus has in his quarters so now we're we're wondering well does everybody have a trap door yeah or is it just a select few i mean why is it that mara has one well okay she keeps you know referencing her brother he was on the prometheus and you know the the uh, the the nightmare that we see in episode one that that somehow she holds her father responsible for what has happened to her, what may have happened to her brother. So you don't necessarily know what the deal is, but the boy non-verbally tells her to keep quiet. Right, he holds his index finger up to his mm-hmm. lips, and and he still hasn't spoken, which nope. is. On the one hand, it's kind of cool. It's kind of eerie. Kind a little of, bit of both. Yeah. Kind of creepy. I know you have always said little kids yeah. are creepy. Little kids, especially when they they don't talk, because most kids talk a lot. Right. And he's certainly, you know, justifying that assessment. Why don't you tell me what the hell's going on here? Well, she doesn't say hell, but <laughs> <laughs> but we're saying that. Right. And she goes to pick the lock to get out. And, and again, go ahead and say it. You were right. Another. Uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, you can access the door. the The bugs have lock picking skills. I, I had said that before. So that's uh, that's three of three. I, I didn't crow about the potassium bromide that he uh, mentioned before, but that was uh, you know, three things I, I nailed on, on this episode. So. Right, and obviously we know there's a connection between Daniel and the boy that that they know each other. That you know, there's something. Did you find it? And, you know, the little boy shakes his head no, and and they each have the Beatles. They each apparently know how the Beatles work. So what the connection between the two of them is, we don't know. But Mar and the boy follow the Beatle. Um, they enter a door, and we see Crestor peering around the hallway. It's like, okay, is he going to give up the location of the boy? Yep. And Yeah. Like, not even, like, a lot later. Like, immediately later, you know? Yeah. Like, like he ran straight to his mother, the little prick. Right. And the next thing you know, Franz shoots Jerome, who then has a vision of being in the uh, French Foreign Legion jail cell that Lucien's locked him in. Oh, I guess I knocked you out harder than I thought. And it's like, God, whatever. And then he's like... You know, here you can use this metal to buy something in prison. Yeah, thanks, bro. Yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> and, yeah, well, Lucien definitely sucks. Like we kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I've been a little bit wavering, uh, giving him like the benefit of the doubt. Like maybe there's some 
deep dark part of him that you know that there's a reason for all this and and that he's actually you know justified in his attitudes and everything but apparently he's just an a-hole yeah i mean we don't we certainly uh, don't see it so far yeah right exactly right you just see he's a jerk yeah and he's you know and add into this now self-pitying as well but yeah And, and jerome why is this happening again that that we mentioned a few minutes ago so does he mean why am i being locked up like a prisoner again or is it something even more mysterious than that which given a show like 1899 i'm hoping that's the case but well i I just think it's like as i said before he is re-experiencing this traumatic event uh uh, this traumatic memory of his um just as ike did with his family and um Lingi did with uh the uh the girl that she killed um so you know that that's what i took it but it could yeah there's multiple multiple meanings that that could potentially have yeah now jerome frees ike and there's like dozens of other people that that are being held captive by the mob and urges them look we got to get together we have to put down this rebellion because the mother wants to throw the boy overboard and you know ike and the others end up on deck the fighting starts and we're wondering i how is this going to end how is this going to play out mara gets there just as she sees you know the 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 danish mother grabbing the boy and i mean in any other show she would have gotten there in time and there might have been a little struggle but nope he goes right overboard but i guess what really strikes me about this scene is that the boy clearly knows this is going to happen and allows himself to be sacrificed so right as well it's a sacrifice if you know you're just gonna well okay pop back into the cabinet as soon as they check all right and and i think as english teachers we we've certainly talked about christ figures in various novels various stories from time to time Uh now i think in in the biblical story of, of christ's crucifixion i don't recall him knowing that he would be resurrected so you could argue well this is different because the boy likely just knows you know i don't know how he gets from the ocean to that cabinet but right but he does and he, well i mean i think how he physically did it, did it is not as important as the fact that he did it yeah yeah that that happened right yeah um the last thing i want to bring up again what is daniel up to i mean we see him again he pulls out that handheld device punches in a code though we don't really see the effect right yeah i put that in my notes like this is like oh i guess before he he was punching on a thing and that's when uh the um kerberos disappeared oh kerberos right right um so but this time like he does it and we don't yeah we don't see any um immediate uh, impact right and then ike shows mara the the page with her name on it who are you really and she's like it's impossible and then of course that's when we hear the rumble in the cabinet light and we see that light flash inside so 
was the kid transported from the ocean to the cabinet? Well, okay. Maybe. Yeah. And then, of course, (laughs) they continue the awesome uh, end of episode music with Blue Blue Oyster Cult. Don't fear the Reaper. Yeah. There's, I mean, just. This show should be renewed just for the, oh my the music they have yeah. at the end of each episode. You um, know? And then uh, I'm just thinking, like, the last thing I put in my notes, it's like, I would not want to get in Mars way at this point. So that's all I got. What, what else you want to bring up? Um, yeah, with that, you know, that whole confrontation there of, of uh, Ike, you know, like, he he has this piece of information that he's been holding on to inexplicably, but um, you know, like suspecting that 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 Mora, as we do, that Mora is somehow at the center of these events or causing these events to happen. You know, oh, we got Chekhov's hammer in this case, right? <laughs> right. Like we knew, like they they kept you know going back to the hammer and sh- show you shots of the hammer. You know, someone's going to pick up the hammer. Yeah, it just Jerome was. Don't even think about it. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, dude. I mean, come on, they're going to you're going to shoot you if you try to. But luckily, just got winged there. You know, th- th- again, this this theme of uh, parentage or maternity, you know, is is, is strong in here with uh, twice. I d- I said her father touched, uh, like Tony's father touched her belly. But in his case, he didn't say anything about the devil. He said something about how, like, um, I can't remember. It, it was like maybe this is a miracle or something like that. Uh, but he, you know, he had a positive thing to say when when he. But but still, we have that scene where each parent, you know, of touching her belly, and then of course we, we you know, the it's undeniable this bond between Mara and the boy, and of course when he comes out of the the, the cabinet. The first thing he does is he runs up and he hugs Mora. You know they've only known each other for a little bit, and that, that so there's there's definitely some kind of maternal relationship there. I, I feel like and everything like that. I, I'm, I'm maybe backing off on on Daniel being like her husband. Uh, maybe he's her brother that, but for some reason she doesn't recognize or something like that. You know, I don't know. But there's also obviously a connection between. You know, with Mora, Daniel, and the boy, there's a strong connection. And, you know, with having Mora being the one telling people to wake up all the time, we know that she's got to be somehow in control here, in control of what events are happening. Um, obviously, Daniel, with his um, uh, with his little remote control, is certainly, in some ways, impacting or controlling events. And then the boy, uh, we're not sure exactly how, but certainly he is at the the center of things as well. So those three specifically really, we, we really feel like that, that uh, they're not, I don't want to say in charge, but are impacting events here. Oh, now we got this team up with Ike and Ramiro, right? Which is weird, you know? Um, so I don't know what to, to think of that, but uh, you know, Ramiro certainly demonstrates, you know, we talked about how like last episode, he kind of wants to do the right thing now. And he seems to be, kind of continuing down that path of, of doing the, the right thing here. You know, it seems like, you know, obviously Crester, his attraction to Angel, Angel, his, um, his sexuality does not seem to be any kind of secret to his mom. 
And uh, she has that really sweet, kind, motherly line of, uh, I wish it was you and not Ada. Yeah. Like that, which was awesome. And I wonder if that's how he got his scar. I wonder if he was beaten up. Sure. Because someone found out. Um, But you see him so willing and so ashamed of himself that, you know, he shouldn't be right. But especially if it is 1899, it would be even as a uh, person whose sexuality was anything other than cis, um, probably not probably had a tough time, you know, no question about it. Yeah. He shouldn't be ashamed of that, but he should be ashamed of, uh, right. But he is. And, and yeah, so willing to, cause you know, so willing to, or it's so, so eager to get his mother's approval that he's willing to do things like, <clears throat> like giving up the boy and everything. So I, I, for a minute there, I thought maybe Maura would take the, uh, the Danish lady and chuck her over the side after, you know, kind of as revenge for throwing over the boy, but, uh, not to be. So I think that, uh, that might be it. All right, well, let's get to listener feedback. And via the Facebook group, Taltos checks in. And Taltos, uh, I, I probably get the podcasts wrong, I believe was uh, a, a giver of feedback as far back as the Continuum podcast. I'm pretty sure with the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, but uh, I apologize if I've got my podcast wrong. But anyway... Uh, Talto says, my first thought after watching the pilot was that the boy was Mara's son. So I definitely agree with you guys on that. However, I was under the possibly erroneous impression that her father was involved with whatever happened to Mara in the mental hospital. Not just having her committed, but actually being the one to experiment on her. So I thought the boy could be a product of his experiments and that perhaps Mara was told the baby died with complications from the pregnancy resulting in her unable to have more children. I do like Dave's theory that the kid is Mara and Daniel's son, though. Regarding Ling Yi's we're not allowed to dream statement, I didn't take that as relating to sleep or memories. I thought that meant having ambitions of dreaming of the future. Her plan was to take the place of a sex worker to get to America, so she must have been rather desperate to escape her life. Wake up seems like something that could be said to bring a person out of a state of hypnosis, which could connect to Mara's study of the brain. In the pilot, when Virginia asks Mara about her interest in the brain, Mara says, there's a hidden world inside each of us, which only needs to be deciphered. So maybe Ike's trap door that seems to lead to a traumatic memory could relate to that. Though that would not explain the ship experience if that's not real. Yeah, so a lot of good stuff. You know, the the thing about not being allowed to dream, uh, again, it seems like we reference Macbeth a lot um, about, you know, Macbeth shall sleep no more because, you know, the guilt is just too all pervasive. So these traumatic events in their lives, some of which we know about, some of which we don't. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's a great line. That's another one. That's obviously a big line um, of, I, I totally agree that that's, it has a dual meaning with it that um, <clears throat> maybe even more than two, probably multiple, multiple meanings, just like the line which she said to Franz, like, you don't know what you're doing or you'll know what's going on here. 
I mean, these lines definitely work on multiple levels and unquestionably, yeah, like Ling Yi could literally, maybe someone's not letting her uh, dream, but also, <clears throat> obviously, from what we've seen of her life experiences and the reason why she's there, as Talto said, um, like, you know, she's having trouble realizing her life dreams as well. Yeah, and the idea that this could be an experiment of some sort, at least as far as Mara goes, but then I wonder extending it out, you know, the, there's a hidden world inside each of us, which only needs to be deciphered. So I, I don't know. As we've said many times, there are no throwaway lines. No, we just don't no, know what they mean not. at this point. Exactly. So, all right, well, let's hear what Fred's got for us this week and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for 1899 Season 1, Episode 4. Oh, fortunately, I have my voice back, although it's still a little low. It's not completely okay, but I'm much better. Last week was really awful. Had a flu for at least nine days. In the beginning I had high fevers, but then the last few days it didn't drop below 101 Fahrenheit, so that's also exhausting. But nevertheless, 2023, this is New Year's Day that I'm recording. I wish everybody the best for this year. Hope all the awfulness in the world will stop and that we will do some very nice new and perhaps older series. About this episode of 1899, it gets an A-. So I'm gone from the strain of B-minuses, although still dark. In the story it changes a lot. More action, less slowness, more mystery, and really intriguing mystery. So I hope they will keep this up. It also becomes kind of more active because it's more about what happens now. Although now, between air quotes, is of course relative and it's not so much more about the uh, backstory of everybody or talking about things that happened in, in the past. Of course you need that, but that was stretched out in three episodes and was, yeah, for my feeling, too slow. And it, now it's more about how everybody reacts on what is happening in the now. Of course, we do get another piece of background story, that of Jerome and Lucien. And I have to say, it's very strange that they landed up on the same boat. Jerome as stowaway, was that on purpose that he is on the same boat as Lucien? Or does that have to do something with Clemence? Because we clearly see that Jerome and Clemence have something together. They know each other. Also something that makes Lucien very angry. Very special, by the way, for 1899, for a person of color to have a relationship with a medium-class white woman. But okay, also in 1899 this happens, but perhaps more in secrecy. It's more like, how do they ever have met? How do they know each other? It's clearly not via Lucien. I assume Lucien fully hides his misbehavior towards Jerome in the past and is even possibly the basis for his psychological problems and his frustration and how he functions in this world, on top of his epilepsy. Although the different parties on the ship are fighting, I really wonder if it will become something like all humans on the ship against the whatever force, uh, devil, etc. 
a struggle for survival where everybody is literally on the same boat. I found it quite remarkable how the third officer reacted, who said, perhaps we are displaced, perhaps something happened to us. That's really a bright insight. And in this episode, Captain Larsen confronts Mora with the logbook of the Prometheus and that she's on it. And she looks quite amazed and says it's impossible. But is that true? We also see here the close connection of the child with Mora. When he comes back, he really hides more or less under her skirt. I really wonder what that will do for her position on the boat and how people will regard her as somebody who cooperates with the devil or something like it. It's quite clear, by the way, that the boy protects Mora when they follow the beetle and try to hide. And the other way around, Mora protects the boy. Really wonder when the boy hit there how he got the bat on top of it again. But perhaps he can open the hatch from under the bed. Okay, that will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. P.S. Something mysterious happened here. During recording, of course, the church bell started to ring again, but normally they ring about 2-3 minutes, and now they abruptly stopped after 30 seconds. What happened to the pastor? Why did it stop? Does he hang there? On the rope? Or what is happening here? Fred, glad to hear you're on the mend. You do sound infinitely better. I, I dig the deepness of the voice there, dude. Yeah, you keep it, man. Um, Sexy. Yeah, now he gives it an A-, minus, uh, more action, quicker pace, which I would agree with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the whole thing about Jerome, he brings up what his reason for getting on the ship. To stow away on a ship like that, I don't want to say it's, you know, like breaking into the Louvre in the 21st century or anything like that, but it still probably wasn't easy. And it, it, the conditions, you know, in which he would have to hide himself for however many days would be pretty, pretty crappy i would think so whatever well when we first see him he's starving right yeah right and 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 that first connection uh you know encounter with olek who immediately gives him you know whatever food he has you know fred brings up whether the two factions you know you know the the mutineers and you know ike's uh crew will unite against whatever the foe actually is. I mean, at this point, we don't know who or what that is. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we've seen that, right? The enemy of my enemy is my friend or, right, you know, uh-huh. so I, I don't know. I, I do like, you know, the, the fact that Fred brings that up as a possibility, but he brings up whether or not Mars connection to the boy is going to damage her view in the eyes of the other passengers. And and certainly that's a, a good idea or certainly a reasonable uh, consideration. Of course, that's going to assume that we can restore order and Ike retake control of the ship. So right. how are they going to answer you know, the ship's owners when they return to Europe. So I guess if I'm Franz, like, well, we'll worry about that when the time comes. 
but I mean, certainly is a connection. Um, and then I love Fred's addendum at the end. So, yeah. you know, could there be a TV series based on Fred's church bell mystery? Yeah. I, you know, given that we're not going to get a season two, maybe we, uh, Fred. Yeah, don't sign with Netflix. Yeah, so, you, well, right, Fred. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you can shoot the script our way. We'll take a look at the pilot episode. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else about Fred's feedback? Um, no, I just, well, you know, he, uh, I didn't think he was, I almost was expecting that Jerome was going to have some kind of connection. Uh, I wasn't at all surprised that uh, he and Lucien had a previous connection. So because, you know, in the ship, like, you know, obviously I think at the end of this, we're going to see that everyone's like interconnected in some way. There's a reason why everyone's on that ship. So, Or on the island or on the plane. No, stop. Okay. So, all right. You know, I, I'm going to give it an A. I, I just really like this episode a lot. I, I thought it had everything that that I would want in an episode. Not not an A plus, but uh, I'm going to give it a solid A. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I can't think of any reason not to give it an A. Okay. I liked it a lot. I, I was like, and this is what I was saying. Like, you know, if I were like binging this, I might watch the first four episodes. Like in one sitting and be like, whoa, you know, whereas watching one at a time, I'm like, ah, man, this is, the pace is a little slow, you know? Um, so, uh, but they definitely picked it up uh, this week. And so we'll see how we are going forward. But yeah, this was a great episode. Okay. All right. Well, Fred Taltos, thank you for the feedback. Appreciate it. Um, if you guys want to send us feedback, you can check in at the Facebook group sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com is the other way you can reach us so uh all right let's go ahead and leave it there that will do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch thank you for joining us love to hear what you think about 1899 anything going on in your genre world we'll be back next week to talk about episode five of the, of the netflix series 1899 but until then dave you know what this show needs what's it need what this show really really needs We need more cowbell.